What is it about relationships between university types and professionals that puts people on edge? Hi, this is Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Russell, Ontario, Canada. And you're listening to Quick Hits, short podcasts about things related to national security. So the last little while, my wife and I have been watching a series on Acorn, which is a kind of a British version of Netflix, called Outlier. It's a Norwegian series about a possible serial killer and the involvement of a, an expat, a Norwegian professor who's now in London in the United Kingdom, who comes back when she reads about this story and she returns to Norway with all kinds of theories. She's a criminologist about who the perpetrator might be and why the police are essentially making a mess of things. The series is interesting. It's been uh, described as slow <laughs> on IMDb. Uh, others have described it as a great slogan or advertising campaign for Norwegian sweaters and Norwegian scenery. In fact, much of the scenery reminds me of uh, parts of Canada. Uh, we just uh, did a road trip a week and a half ago up through central Ontario, up north of Deep River along the Ottawa River and spectacular scenery. And what I'm seeing in the, in the series is very reminiscent of that part of, of my country. Without spoiling the plot entirely, this professor, whose name is Maya Angel, and she's Norwegian, as I said, she left the country under not great circumstances. There's a whole history to her, which I'm not going to get into. She returns to Norway, as I said, after reading about this this missing person uh, murder uh, in uh, a very remote part of northern Norway, up near the Finnish border. And she immediately makes a complete pain in the ass of herself with the local police, whom she accuses of being sexist, of ignoring tips, of not taking crime seriously when they involve women. And she has come in basically on her high horse and is going to solve this crime for them, all the while uh, carping at them and, and calling them incompetent. Not surprisingly, the police don't take too kindly to this. And you see this interesting dynamic between the chief of police and this very, very small outpost and this returning Norwegian scholar criminologist who's going to tell the police what they do and how to do it. Why am I talking about this? There's an old phrase that stems from British university culture called town and gown. Actually, it probably predates Britain, but that's where I associate it with places like Oxford and Cambridge. Town and gown refers to the fact that in some university towns, you have a very distinct culture between those that are part of the university milieu, they're called the gowns because of the very formal attire that they wear on certain occasions, and the residents of the towns in which these universities reside. These are called the towns. And historically, the two have not always gotten along that greatly. The way that I want to sort of spin this today, and this has direct relationship to this series outlier on Acorn, is the interactions both good and bad, between the university milieu and those of us who worked in security, intelligence, and law enforcement. It should come as no surprise that there is a there are legitimate fields of study like criminology, political science, even terrorism studies nowadays, especially in the post-9-11 period, where thousands of people have gotten degrees and, and taken courses on what terrorism is and what crime is and, and how it happens and why it happens 
and developing frameworks and profiles of criminals, much like Maya has a profile of a serial killer. There are probably hundreds of journals out there, hundreds of conferences that are held all the time. I see constantly in major Canadian newspapers, academics being asked to write articles on national security. And occasionally these people will, well, to put it bluntly, try to tell professionals how to do their job, what they should be focused on, what they should ignore, and in some cases, actually how to do investigations. Just like the town and gown in UK university settings, it should come as a surprise to no one that those of us who worked in the field, as I did for more than three decades, don't really take too kindly to being told how to do our jobs. In the Outlier series, Maya comes across as, as arrogant, as dismissive of police methods. She has all the answers, and these stupid you know, cops from middle of nowhere Norway would be better to listen to her as opposed to following their training. I'm not sure how the series is going to end. I have a few episodes left. There seems to be some indication that indeed a serial killer has been uh, active in that part of Norway for, for some years now. But I do think that there is a better way to manage this give and take between what I'll call the gowns, the academic community, and the towns, in this case, police and security intelligence officials. When I was at CSIS, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, we had a very, very robust and useful academic outreach program in which we'd bring academics in for lectures or even full-day conferences to talk about a variety of issues that were of interest to us as Canada's security intelligence organization, whether it was terrorism or espionage or foreign interference, things that are covered under Section 2 of the CSIS Act, which essentially tells CSIS what it can do and what it must do under its investigative authority. I personally have hundreds of friends who work in academe. I think very highly of some of the work that they've done. Others, not so much. But is it really the place of academics to tell professionals how to do their jobs? Let me give you an analogy here. If you were suffering from major heart damage, blocked arteries, whatever, who would you want to operate on you? A heart surgeon or someone who writes about heart surgery? Somebody who maybe wrote a history of, of heart surgery developments over the centuries. I'm guessing you'd pick the former over the latter. When it comes to terrorism, counterterrorism investigations or counterespionage investigations, who would you rather have working on your side? Those who've been trained to do those investigations or those who write about them? Again, I'm very biased and I recognize that but I think the answer is quite clear. What I would like to see going forward are two things. I would like to see the academics acknowledge that those of us who worked in the business know what we're doing. That's what we're trained to do and not constantly tell us that there's a better way to do things. Secondly, I think we'd like, we could benefit from hearing a lot more voices and stories and experiences of those who actually worked at the coalface, like what I'm trying to do here with my podcasts and my blogs. Far too many practitioners, once they leave the hallowed halls of CSIS or the RCMP or CSE, go on to other pursuits, take up fishing, play with their grandkids, 
go camping, whatever, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there's lots of knowledge there that's not being passed on. Now, of course, it's many things can't be passed on because they're very sensitive, they're still classified. But I think that Canadians and, and Americans and Brits and Australians and all kinds of people would benefit tremendously from having some insight into what it was like to work in these types of investigations. Hear those voices about what mattered and what didn't matter, the challenges that they faced, the successes that they had, the failures that they had when, when things didn't go right. Rather than hearing solely in our news media from people from the world of the gown, the world of academe, weighing in on all things national security related. Again, I'm not dismissing academic contributions. As I've said, some are very, very good. But we're not hearing enough of the other side. And we're poorer as a result in our understanding of these types of threats. So here's a, a challenge. Here's a suggestion that we continue to develop this relationship between practitioners and thinkers. There's a long way to go. I'd rather see more communication rather than less communication. But there has to be an acknowledgement on, on behalf of those that teach and write and submit articles to journals and write books that those of us who actually got our feet wet, got our hands dirty in doing these types of investigations deserve to be heard as well. And please, please, please do not tell us what to do or how to do it. That is arrogance and that's dismissing the fact that we do count for something. Anyhow, that's what I think. Have you ever encountered this, I don't know, stress or strained relations between academics and professionals? I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me on email borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter at borealisaves. You can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you like this content and want to get more of it, go to my website, borealisthreatenrisk.com. Hit the subscribe button. You'll get a free daily digest, Today in Terrorism, Perspectives, Longer Canadian Intelligence A podcasts, quick hits, all kinds of things free of charge to your inbox every day. You can also find a link to my latest book, The Peaceable Kingdom, A History of Terrorism in Canada from Confederation of the Present. Self-published. You can only buy it on my website. It's not available in bookstores. Only $25 Canadian plus shipping and handling. Love to hear your feedback. We'll talk to you again real soon. Until then, stay safe.